0: Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies in the tennis world. Today is Monday, March 18th. It was a heck of an Indian Wells weekend. So much great tennis there, so much great tennis throughout the tennis world, challengers, futures, college tennis. Joining me to recap it all, he has pledged to make this podcast 35 minutes, but more importantly, he is my doubles partner and partner in crime, Maxwell LeBauer Rothman. Maxie, welcome back to the Mini Break. How was your weekend?
1: It was good, man. I I uh, definitely want to keep it to thirty five minutes to spare you from getting to bed any anywhere past you know one a.m. one thirty a.m. Uh, I appreciate you waiting for me to get back home to talk about all the tennis because I know we've got some stuff to talk about. It was a juicy weekend uh, for for many reasons. So uh, whenever you're ready, I'm ready to to jump into it.
0: Well, it's hilarious because we've been recording these at 11.30 p.m. Eastern Time. That's a liberal assessment uh, throughout the week. And this is the first time we've recorded where there's actually no tennis still going on. So it feels good to get to record one of these when all of the tennis has finally been completed. But with that, let's rock and roll. So the first match I want to start with, let's start with the women's side because honestly— This was the more interesting side to me of the weekend. We'll start with the women's semifinals. Obviously, they were staggered a day ahead of the men, so there are a couple quarterfinal men's results I want to touch on when we get there. But the match I want to start with, the superstar of the weekend, we have to start with uh, Bianca Andreescu, who was a 6-3, 2-6, 6-4 winner in the semifinals over Svitolina. I mean, from that point, you talk about Svitolina. She is a grinder. She is a player who's going to make you hit the extra ball every time. And, you know, if you hadn't been paying attention to Andrescu earlier in the week, shame on you. You've been missing out on some great tennis. And to her credit, earlier in the week, she had knocked out Sibylkova. She'd knocked out Wang. She knocked out Muguruza 0-1, which, by the way, is as notable of a result as you can get. And then here to take out a, you know, a top-six seed Svitolina in her first master semifinal, if you weren't paying attention before, then you certainly were at that point, Rothman.
1: Absolutely, and you know, look, she had a ridiculous run, as you said, up to this point. Uh, you know, she is now the fir- after winning this match, she's the first ever wild card to reach a final, and of course, we'll we'll talk about her, you know, big win later. Um, but I mean, just super impressive, so composed as an 18 year old. Uh, you know the way that she's able to change direction with the ball is is so impressive i love the way that she drops shots and you know I, I know you'll laugh at that but uh <laughs> tr- truly i mean the the way that she's able to mix up her game is impressive and um you know now looking at some of the stats just from her career uh, she is now 3 and 0 against left-handers which is you know th- i guess that says something uh, but but looking at her just career wins so she's 19 8 On the WTA. And one of those is a top five win. Two of those are top 10 wins. And she's five and two against top 20s. And so, I mean, she's clearly making a case for being the next, you know, really successful young player. And uh, clearly, as we saw from her match today, it, it shows and if you don't know who Bianca Andreescu is if
0: you don't follow the juniors as closely as Max and I do to kind of set the scene you know she is the number uh, former world ITF number 3 junior in singles so obviously she has that sort of pedigree we're talking about a former Orange Bowl champion she's played at the junior grand slams made a semifinal at the junior US Open in 2016 semifinal at the junior Australian Open in 2017 i mean this is someone who the expectations were always high. It, it was always a matter of, uh, if you followed the game closely, I should say, when will she break through? Not if she will, but when she will. And as you mentioned, in this match against Fidelina. She was the one dictating. She was the one asserting herself as great as Fidelito played for her to have that sort of jump back in that second set uh, to come back down the way she did so impressively. As you mentioned in the stats from this match, you know, uh, for Andrescu, 56% first serve percentage, not great, but to defend both of your serves at an over 50% rate. That's going to get the job done when the margins are so thin. And you look at the break points saved. Svitolina, 19 break points in this match. You know, she converts six of them, but Andrescu also gets six. I mean, it simply came down to who could execute better in the bigger moments, and for Andrescu, in that moment to make her first, uh, ma- or I should say, premier final. So impressive. You know, you look at who she was going to match up in the semifinal someone coming off of an equally impressive win. Angelique Kerber, the number eight seed, uh, knocks out number 23 seed Belinda Bencic, my pick for the title, obviously, so hot coming into that match. Six wins against top ten opponents a kind of routine 6462 now I don't want to take anything away from Kerber because she played a fantastic match in this uh in this one so complete the way she was composed the way she was tracking down everything she could tell Benchich was you know physically worn down from all of the tennis she had played over the past 2 weeks and I'm not trying to make an excuse you know you go out there and play the match and obviously Angelique Kerber was the better day but for Benchich you know she only made, uh, she makes sixty three percent of her first serves, but only wins forty two percent of her first serve points. Only wins twenty two percent of her second serve points. I mean, just the jump, the boost, the 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 quick jolt needed after you hit that first serve, or just the leg pop into the serve. It wasn't there for Benchich.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's tough when you are in the semis of this tournament. She takes out Osaka, <clears throat> excuse me. She takes out Pliskova. I mean she had a hell of a run she takes out you know some really good players up to this point and and that just takes a toll on you you know once you're in the, the semifinals of a of a you know two week long tournament and, you know that brings up also the debate of uh, the one that jamie and i had excuse me talk me a rewind too many too many new hosts on these pods that i forget who i'm potting with sometimes <laughs> me and me and Stakoviak, uh, you know we're we the Stokoviak, that- it's a w Nah, it's a V. Um, so we, we debated this on, on our pod, you know, whether this should be uh, two weeks or one week. And, and I think, you know, this could be an example of, you know, just a little fatigue here. Uh, but, you know, again, can't take it away from Kerber who played a great match.
0: Do you consider Indian Wells two weeks or a week and a half? It's kind of a week and a half, right? yeah. I, I but, feel like it I kind of like it It finds that nice Middle ground I wish they had A scheduled day off For the uh, for the women I think they had Saturday off It'd be nice If that was a little bit sooner Because uh, yeah. as you mentioned uh, The wear and tear Although we were treated To a great final And in fact Let's transition To that final Obviously Andrescu Completes Uh the incredible one, run she gets her first master or premier, I keep saying masters. Come on Alex, you're better than this. Premier title knocking shot. out Angelique Kerber six four three six six four. You know, Kerber I believe was up 2-1 or maybe 3-2 in that third set and you mm-hmm. took a coaching timeout. Her coach comes out and from there in I mean she was just so authoritative
1: from the ground. But she, I mean but she did get broken at two all breaks right back in that set. Um and I mean that third set to me I mean first of all, the match as a whole was fantastic. You know, first set comes out hot, takes it, and you know, in that second set you see Kerber just adjust, you know, lots of drop shots all over the place. Kerber starts hitting some drop shots back and, you know, using that, that game style and that game plan against uh Andrescu and, you know, takes that second set and then you just saw the third set all come together, you know, back and forth breaks, um, and then, you know, at 5-3 in the third, Andreescu has four or three championship points. Kerber somehow is able to pull out a break there. And just, you know, the balls of Andreescu in that 5-4 game in, in the third set. Big returns, hitting, you know, drop shots still, not holding back on those kind of riskier shots. And pulls out on that fourth championship point. Just a, a fantastic point. Look, I, you just you got to give her so much credit for how uh, you know mature she was in this match. I
0: think for Angelique Kerber these slow courts at Indian Wells and it's going to be nice not to have to mention those for a little bit. They <laughs> played to her favor. You know, she was able to buy so much time. It's so difficult for any player to hit through the court, and so Angelique Kerber did her thing. As you mentioned, she mixed in the angles. She mixed in the, I'm going to hit a deep slice back to in the center, and you're going to have to try and dictate. She played heavy topspin balls, high elevation balls over the net, tried to throw a bunch of different looks at Andrescu, but to Andrescu's credit, I mean, on the first serve, not good, but she wins 60% of her first serve points, 64% of her second serve points. Those are elite numbers, and you compare them to Kerber, you know, Kerber uh, wins 66% of her first serve points, that's good, but only 42% on the second serve. You look at breakpoint opportunities, uh, Andrescu goes 4 of 10, but to have 10 versus a Kerber's 3 of 4. As you mentioned, the way she was aggressive, the way she threw in drop shots, lobs, uh, heavy elevation balls as well. You know, Andrescu's not afraid to play almost, I don't want to call it a lob, but a very defensive, elevated shot down the center <clears> to buy herself time. It, it's, it's a really impressive skill, and you can tell her fitness isn't exactly where she wants it to be. Uh, you know she she she's quick, but she doesn't move quite as well side to side as maybe she will when she's you now twenty twenty one years old. Got to keep in mind she's born in two thousand, which is crazy, but she's got so many skills, Rothman. It's so impressive.
1: It, you know that's funny that you brought that up. I, I was going to ask you what you thought of that because she does throw that in quite a bit, uh, and I weirdly feel like I saw that from you know a, a bunch of players this week, and and maybe that is just. Uh, attributed to the slow court, thinking that they can throw that kind of high spinning ball up in the air and and it gives them time to get back into the court. Uh, But it clearly worked for her. It gave her a lot of opportunities to get back into points that uh, she probably wouldn't have been able to otherwise. I mean what what
0: was Kerber going to do with that ball? Kerber's not 6 foot 6, you know, she's like 5 foot 6. And so that ball got up on her quickly and you know, she could have taken it out of the air, tried to hit some swinging volleys, but the way Andreescu was feeling uh from the ground, you just don't know if you want if that's the play, you know, if you want to force your way into the net if you're Kerber when you're not exactly known for your volleys. It's just Yes, Andreescu's got a ton of skills and you look at her now she jumps up to a career high number 24. she's the first wild card winner in Indian Wells history. youngest Indian Wells champion since Serena. Uh, I mean you don't have to project her upside as as you know in the future because she is so young, but do you think her game is at a point mature enough to where she can compete for Grand Slam titles now?
1: Yeah, I, I don't see why not. I think she proved it here. I mean she took out four seeds you know she took out kerber who's a three-time grand slam champion i mean i don't see why not she just she just won indian wells which a lot of people consider the fifth grand slam uh you know the way she was able to a lot you know, of people presenting kale's opinion as a lot of people that's hey not good for kale's him. opinion that didn't even come from kale <laughs> um but in all seriousness you know there there's a lot to be said about her run here and and i think if she can keep this kind of composure keep this you know, maturity throughout her her matches coming forward. I I don't see why not. Where do you think there's less clarity
0: on the women's side of who's going to win the 2019 French Open, or on the men's side of who's going to win the 2019
1: French Open? Oh God. It wouldn't French, be a mini break without a tangent. It's true. I mean, French is just a whole nother like it's a whole other game. You know, the the clay. It's fascinating. Just, and, and honestly, I don't even know if I could tell you until I've seen a little bit of clay court season because the, the clay is so different. Seeing how these guys are going to move, how they're going to play, you know, on both sides, it's just it, people uh, people will improve and improve their movement, and that's going to gonna be a huge tell on how the French Open is going to be. As of right now, I'd probably say men. I'd probably say the men is more, you know, unknown. There, there's just so many guys out there that are, you know, making far runs we saw in this tournament. You know, look at, looking at the top quarter of or the top half of the draw is just we didn't even know who some of these guys were. I mean, I'm kidding, of course, we, we know who these guys are. But <laughs> all right, Brad for, Gilbert, f- for for the average <laughs> watcher, they might look at the quarterfinals and say, who the hell are these guys? So, uh, yeah, it, it definitely it could be just a, a wild card Grand Slam. Look, a
0: surprisingly <clears throat> mature answer from you. I like it. We can leave it there and explore more. Surprisingly
1: mature from, from Mr. Gruskin himself.
0: Well, we'll save it for a GSP, but let's flip over to the men's side because there was a ton of interesting tennis on that side of the draw as well. As I mentioned, we didn't get to talk about the second half of the quarterfinal, and I think the most pivotal match on the men's side occurred in that round. This was a match that had you and I texting throughout the day. We almost considered emergency potting for it, Rothman, but we were both burnt out from the week prior. I, of course, am talking about Rafael Nadal, 7 6 7 over our guy, Kieran Kiachnov, which, by Keachnov. the way, is. An, and... Uh, and. An outstanding job of emphasizing in the pod with Stikoak. My mind is still mush. (laughs) We're getting warmed up. It feels like this weekend it threw me out of... I was doing so many pods back to back to back. I know. We were in a groove. Yeah. But so that match, Rafa survived 7-6, 7-6. If you were watching, you saw I think it was 2-1 in the second set. Rafa started pulling at his knee. He had the trainer come out, had it wrapped. At one point, Rafa wasn't really hitting serves, using his legs. He wasn't moving as much around the court, but... For Kachanov, I mean, I think we have to start on that side of the equation, Rothman. He just didn't know what to do. He didn't know how to handle himself, how to uh, change his game to the new circumstances to Mm -hmm. keep Nadal moving side to side but not kind of fall into a lull of just trying to make balls because if you just try and make balls, give medium pace to Roth and Nadal, he's going to put you away. And I just think for Kachanov, it was a mental thing more than a physical thing. He He lost himself
1: totally and I mean if you if you looked back at our string of texting you would see just the the frustration between the two of us (laughs) because I did say Kachanov was going to push him
0: physically and I called the upset at the time obviously I was wrong but he did push him physically I mean he's injured
1: yeah I mean I I don't know if it was technically Kachanov who who (laughs) made that injury happen but uh, considering this is a a reoccurring thing for Nadal um, but yeah it's just to me it was a a lack of awareness from Kachanov. Like you have to know at that point, okay, yes, my game style is, you know, hitting big, big forehands, big backhands. I'm gonna, you know, push Nadal off the court, but you have to take a step back and, and say, okay, Nadal's knee is killing him. He can barely move to his right side because anytime he moves over there and he puts pressure, he's he's you know, limping afterwards. You just have to take a second to be like, I'm gonna make more balls than him right now. Uh, simply going to p- move him around the court, make make this match last as long as possible, and make the, the guy's knee break like, And it's not uh, like physicality. And he didn't do that.
0: Well, it's not like physicality is something Karen Kiatchenov struggles with. Physicality is a key component of his game. And it's funny, you look at the stats from this match 17 aces against one double fault for Kachinov. That's outstanding. 78% Dude, first he serve served percentage. Almost 80%. Yes, yeah, 68% win percentage on the first serve. But I'm pretty sure in the first set, and the first set, he missed, like, only four first serves or something crazy. He was just dominating. So you yeah. can see the drop-off in his second set. And again, during this match, Rafa was the one who broke first in that second set. It literally—if Kachanov would have broken Nadal to go up 3-2, uh, Nadal would have retired. You could see it on his face. He was begging. Rafa ends up holding there. Kachanov then gets broken, and he breaks back, of course. But still, you like you mentioned— For Rafa to convert uh, 76% of his first serves, that's fine, 56% of his second serves on one leg, Kachinov blew too many returns deep trying to go for that ultimate put-away, you know, right at the get-go, make Rafa uncomfortable, instead of, as you mentioned, working the outer thirds of the court, opening the, the court up for himself, and he did do that sometimes. He had a ton of break points in that second set, but it's just... It wasn't disciplined enough, and I love Kachanov's game so much because he's one of those few guys, few young guys in particular, who can shift to a plan B if plan A isn't working. If the forehand well, and the serve aren't it compl- didn't show. No, exactly, but it didn't show in this match, and it just shows plan B while, while developing nicely – it's not where it needs to be for Karen Kachanov because, you know, you're going to inevitably struggle at some point during a Grand Slam. It's a two-week event. You can't always play your best. And for him who to play so well and come into this match, have such a great opportunity and just not be able to convert, it hurts.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, we've, we've all played someone who's been injured, and I totally understand that mental game. When I've played people in the past who are injured – all you're thinking is, okay, this guy's hurt. I should be winning this match. And a lot of times that thought process gets in your head and you, you start, you know, making weird changes to your game where you start trying to, to do too much, similar to what Kiachinov was doing there. So I think there was a, a clear mental, you know, blip from him there. And, you know, this is now the sixth straight tiebreaker that he's lost in a doll, And so Adal's clearly in his head in those tiebreakers as well. Uh, just, just unfortunate, especially considering you know the withdrawal uh, in the next round from Nadal. But I'll, I'll get to that later.
0: Well, you you want
1: to talk about that now? Uh, I'll go
0: off. Yeah, do it, do it, do it. <laughs> Let's start the week with a hot debate. Okay. Because I have some thoughts as well. Hold on, let me get a bell for more stuff.
1: Yeah. So you heard me complain earlier about these withdraws and 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 how just maddening it makes me. So look. That, uh, there's there's a very clear problem with my argument here that i'll that I'll put out from the beginning you you obviously can't expect a competitor in this sport to just give up a match right no no guy is gonna be out there on the court injured and say you know what I'm injured I'm gonna stop however out of respect for the game you've got to know at a certain point where you're too injured to play the next match and and yes people will argue with me that you know, You don't know how that next match is going to be and how that next day is going to be. But when you're that injured, typically you have a sense of of whether you're going to be able to play that next day. So I'm not saying Nadal should have sat there and, and, you know, just withdrawn right on the spot and said, I'm done. And truly, Kiachinova should have won that match and figured out a way to to not let this happen. But, and and this is funny because I actually came up with this, you know, weird thought after talking with my parents about it. And I'm curious what you think. I think that in certain circumstances, if a player is in a tight match like this, like he did with with Kichinov and Nadal, the loser, if the winner withdraws, should be able to play the next round.
0: I could not disagree with you more. And for the record, you are not the only person who had that thought. Not saying you didn't come up on it with it on your own, but obviously on tennis Twitter, that became a big topic after the Nadal withdrawal. Now, of course, people were. I was particularly- off my Twitter game
1: this week. <laughs> yeah. I
0: will. I will admit. <laughs> you came up with that while in the high slopes of Aspen. Uh, emphasis on high. On the high. The high. Yeah. But to your point, Brad Gilbert, uh, Chris Fowler, some other people in the tennis community were spitting around that idea of, oh, maybe out of the quarterfinalists they can pick a lucky loser or maybe whoever lost the direct match. And to me, there's a couple reasons I disagree with it. One, this is tennis. As long as tournaments are going to be single elim- elimination format – don't mess with that that's what we're you know withdrawals happen and to your point of oh well the fans are so let down well our friend at Paul T tennis uh, Paul Timmins did a little research into this and from 2014 to 2018 there were 45 masters 1000s three semifinal walkovers in in total rayonich in paris in 2016 and Burdic and nishikori did a double withdrawal in miami of 2014 now if you take that to quarterfinal matches, there were 180 quarterfinal matches, only five walkovers, 2.5% of the time. If this isn't Rafael Nadal withdrawing from Fidal number 39, which is what people call it, which makes me so angry, but that's a conversation for another time. I don't think anyone gets upset by this. Withdraws happen. For Rafa to finish the match against Kachnoff—first of all, all of this, is, as you mentioned, is Kachnoff's fault because he should have won that match. But yeah. getting beyond that— for, for people who are getting so upset over this withdrawal, it, it happens so rarely. And for us to just find a fix because we got upset that, you know, we, we didn't get the match we all wanted, well, big
1: whoops. That happens sometimes. But, but this... I, okay, look. I understand that it, it happens so rarely, but this tournament, there were three pretty big withdrawals. You, you have, you know, team going over Monfils in the quarterfinals, and you have... I consider this withdraw the uh, the Nishi Cori with excuse me the Nishioka withdraw uh, with Kismenovich, I consider that you know that that counts for me and that's in a in a quarterfinal. So look like I, I just think that <sighs> but this is an exception.
0: Two point five percent of the time, three walkovers in forty five matches. Again, this is this but is do, do you
1: not feel like it it creates such a advantage for the people who get the walkover? But that's that's two separate issues. You
0: can't change that. I mean, no. Why? If we are playing single elimination tennis, why are we giving someone who lost a chance to get back in? That that totally upsets the structure. What happens if in the second round someone loses and now they're in the third round? Do we want to let that second round person go on? Where do you stop? Plus, there's the gambling implications of I'm up six hundred five oh oh. I actually put twenty bazillion dollars on this match. I'm just going to withdraw any ways because who cares? There's just so many potential consequences of adding that, it's not worth it. We're making a big deal to me because I, we didn't get Federer and Nadal, not because we're upset that withdraws
1: happen. Okay, I, I'm not doing it because of Federer and Nadal because I've been complaining about the withdrawals all week. I, I think maybe not in the later rounds of a tournament. I think at that point, yeah, it might be tough. But I think in the early rounds of a tournament, if someone withdraws, that the other person should, should make it on to the next round. But well, that's just me.
0: We can continue this d- debate another time for sure, and I'm sure many on tennis Twitter will continue it as well. But let's talk about a semifinal match real quick. Uh, obviously, Nadal Feder doesn't end up happening; Feder moves on. But we did get to see Dominic team take out Milos Raonic in a very entertaining Ooh. three-set match. Um, I believe the score was seven six six seven six four Dominic team. Um Sorry, I accidentally x xed uh, out of the tab, so I'm trying to find it again. But just my opening well, thing to you, Rothman, the explosion off of Dominic Team's racket from the ground stro- uh, from the from the baseline. It's just it's so unique. It's so impressive.
1: I mean, absolutely. And and because your tab closed, I can give a few stats to talk about this match. I mean, so impressive for Team to win a match. When Milos Ranich is winning 80% of his first serves. I mean, yes, they, they played two tiebreak sets, but to get a break when he's serving, when he's winning 80% of his first serves is just astounding. And Milos, his level of play just got higher and higher as this tournament progressed. And I mean, team just handled it like a beast. If you want to watch some hard hitting ground strokes, watch this match because they were freaking smacking the ball.
0: Well, you know the thing about Dominic Team. if you follow the game closely, everyone, he's not a clay court specialist. You can't be number 10 in the world, uh, top 10 in the world, and be a, a specialist just on one surface, but that's what he's known for. He's most proficient on the clay. That's where he's had his most success. He makes a French Open final. He's made a couple Masters finals on the dirt as well. The way these Indian Wells courts are playing so slow, it just, it's set up beautifully for yeah, him. Yeah, are, are the Indian time. Wells
1: courts slow? <laughs> Sorry, I had to.
0: No, no, I deserve it. But <laughs> he's able to buy time. His his back strokes, you know, his back swings are huge. He takes big yeah. cuts at the ball. You see it, it; it's evident. The reason he hits the ball so big is because his swing is so big. But still, when you're playing on these courts, the ball's bouncing a little higher. You can take a step or two off the baseline, which is something he did really well on the returner serve as well, giving himself a chance to swing through the ball, dip it at the feet of Rayonich when he would serve in volley. I mean, it- so there impressive. were
1: times, there were times you actually couldn't even see him in <laughs> in the screen because he was so far back. Uh, but besides his return, he also served amazing in this match. He won eighty two percent of his first serves. You know he made seventy six percent of them, and he he converted sixty percent of his second serve points. So you know the the guy also served well. And, and I do have a question for you. So you know a lot of the commentators love his kick serve, uh, and <laughs> it's definitely his best serve. So, Gruskin, playing dubs, whose kick serve do you take, his or mine?
0: The <laughs> obvious answer is you. I know I'll exactly be. what you're doing with yours. I don't be. know what Dominic's doing. And plus, <laughs> if he misfires a little bit and hits me in the back of the neck, he kills me. You have never killed me with the serve. To your credit, <clears throat> we played together for three years. Not once did I get hit by one of your serves. Oh, did I get hit once?
1: Maze Blue... I feel like I maybe, like, skimmed you, but it was never, like, full contact, like, to the back of the head, on the ground, concussion.
0: I'm pretty sure we were really hungover, Maze and Blue, because my birthday was that Saturday night. Yeah. And so we played that next day. I'm pretty sure that was the day you grazed me on the arm. But you never full smacked. If Dominic team full smacked, Kyle Zhu hit my brother four times once in a match. (laughs) And on the fourth one, Eric just screams, Kyle! And it's just, like, our whole team stopped and we're like, "Uh uh-oh. Like, they might fight. I think I'd walk off the court. No, for sure. But the answer is I'm picking you, no doubt. But for team with that kick serve, the way he is able to work the ball off the court, no matter what you do with your return, team's hitting a forehand on that next ball, and that's what he wants most on the court. Yeah, it's it's a great combination for him. It's so nice to see him go up the line, take big swings. He took time away from Milos Raonic, which is something no one else was able to do in this tournament. And honestly— We'll use this as our transition to the final because the other thing
1: he did that no one else was able to do, he took time away from Roger Federer. So so he did that starting in the second set, and that is where he was unsuccessful in the first set. You watch that first set, and Fed was into the net. I mean, first of all, Fed was just on fire in that first set. There was nothing he was going to do to it's to not Not Fed. even the first set, First first half of the first set, it was just like, uh-oh. Yeah, it's true. But no— it, Once, once, you know, he, so he had, right, he had that like little hot streak and you were like, oh, and then there was the little, you know, it it plateaued for a second. And then he just started, he started coming into the net and he was like 12 for 12 at the net in the, after, you know, the first set. And it was like, oh God, this, this could be a quick second set. And then you saw a team starting to, he did what he did against Ranish and took a few steps back. Gave himself more time on the returns. And when Fed started coming into the net, he was passing him here and there. And uh, it really, you know, gave himself more time, which I actually thought was going to backfire. That's, you know, that's the kind of way where he's going to not take away time from Fed. And somehow, you know, giving himself more time allowed him to pass Fed and create longer points. It was, a, it was an impressive adjustment from team. The hottest take of the tournament
0: was when Philip
1: Fama at
0: Tweenerhead Tennis, newest member of the Cracked Rackets team, Westoff, throw him an applause in there. In our Slack group, he goes, does this match even feel like a final? It doesn't really feel like a final. And
1: I was like, what are you talking about? These guys and, are and playing t- titans <laughs> at the top and, of their game. Like, what are you talking about? And Dalton with the uh, the quick agreement, yeah, this feels like a semifinal. Yeah. Dalton, shut the f*** <laughs> up. <laughs> That's why love you, been love you, though.
0: That's why he's been permanently banned from the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I, it's just these guys were hitting the absolute shit out of the ball. It was so impressive. And for team, you know, I was watching some of the match with our super producer, Max Fligner, and I go, Fligner, I guarantee you Rothman is going to come on the pod sign and be like, man, team should be slicing. Why isn't he slicing? He needs to work the slice more because you're all about that slice game. You know it. I see you smiling. You know it. no. And, it was I like,
1: disagree. <laughs> the point That's is, Dominic team was,
0: <laughs> the point is, Dominic Team's slice is not where is not nearly as good as the rest of his game. But it didn't matter in this match because of the way he was able to take six feet back off the baseline, swing away as much as he wanted. It reminded me of the way he played in that U.S. Open, what was it, quarterfinal against Rafa, where it was that five-set match, you know, a couple tiebreakers in there as well. These guys were just slugging away. And for Dominic Team, whether it was the movement, I'm pretty sure when he broke Fed in that uh, third set, he had two uh, short—Fed hit two drop volleys, and and Team got there, covered it, hit the short-angle pass— You know, so impressive from him. He hit serves in the 130s. The guy can dial it up, and you look at his percentages 69% first serve percentage, that'll get the job done. 70% first uh, serve win percentage, 60% second serve win percentage. And then the thing Dominic team did well, and it, it's you know I'm gonna get yelled at because he's making a final here. What am I to say? But where Roger Federer just isn't the same as he once was. Fed only wins 48 percent of his second serve points. Those were the points where able team was able to run around the ball, hit first forehands. Like any player, he obviously was going after Federer's backhand for the majority of this match, and just team played such a smart aggressive match. It's funny. He missed a return in the game. He ended up breaking in the third or sorry. He missed a an easy or not an easy, but a backhand down the line that he really gunned when he was serving for the match up 15 love and Fliegner kind of looks at me and goes, well, you know, it, it's a, I, I was yelling about the miss. I was like, Oh, one handers, they suck. And he goes, no, no, no. That was a good miss. Like you don't want to miss not, you, you don't want to, you know, I'm sorry for using this term, but play like a p- when you're serving for the match, you want to go, you know, all out. You want to play aggressive tennis and for team. That's what he did throughout this one.
1: Yeah, I mean, look to to say that this is where Fed is now, you know, lost a step is on his second serve is ridiculous because his serve is the one thing that has held up over the years, and I really do think that that stat is flawed because of that second set. I think you saw Fed kind of give it up a little bit. I think he was yeah. like, you know what, I got broken. I'm gonna let him take this. I mean, I'm gonna you know bounce back and take this third set. Uh, and again, you know, go gotta give credit to Team for just being mature and smart in the the latter half of that third set and uh, yeah i don't think there's a whole lot more to say except that he just played smart tennis i'm
0: gonna say i agree with you at, upon looking for the review roger federer 11 break point opportunities goes two of 11, Eleven. dominic teen four break opportunities goes three of four yeah fed had plenty of chances he definitely this, could have this was this match. fed's match to lose to be honest <laughs> All right, that's fair. Well, then my final question to you on this subject. Max Rothman, after winning Indian Wells, I know we still have Miami ahead of us, but given his pedigree on the clay, is Dominic Team your favorite heading into the French Open? Because he is certainly mine.
1: Um, No, nah, I'm still going to give it to Nadal. <laughs> for Sadly. sure. Just, despite the knees, despite anything. Yeah. It, he's going to rest all the way up until the clay season. He's going to get on the clay. He's going to get his feel for it. Uh, I, re- I really think it's hard to give it to anyone but him. All right. We will As much it. as I'd love to give it to team.
0: All right. That's fair. We can debate this further. But real quick, I want to run through some of the other results from the weekend because there was a ton of great ch- tennis. We mentioned the Phoenix Challenger a bunch of times last week. You end up looking there. Matteo Berrettini ends up winning the title over Mikhail Kakushkin. 3 6, 7 6, 7 6. Uh, for David Goffin, who is a notable guy playing the draw, he loses in the uh, quarterfinal round to Caruso. Yeah, Jeremy Chardy loses first round in this one, but still such a cool event. You have Jamie Murray and Skupski winning the doubles, obviously, to have a player of Jamie Murray's caliber caliber at an event like that so cool to see you move over to Drummondsville, some cool results there michael Redlicky, former arkansas guy usda guy boy 16th kalamazoo winner makes the semifinals loses to former clemson all-american yannick madden who loses in the final to ricardus Barrancas, six three seven five. man is Barrancas good at tennis obviously the guys in the top 50 because they're a little bigger can hit them off the court but it was so fun to get to see him play at this level uh rothman any thoughts on the challengers Oh, one other quick challenger. Your guy, Braden Schnurr, coming off of his New York result. Number yeah, one seed semifinal. in Shenzhen, China. Makes a semifinal there. Good for him. Another good result. Marcos Baghdatis ends up taking that title. But any thoughts on the challengers?
1: Besides the fact that these tournaments have basically turned into, you know, ATP 250 level tournaments with the players that are playing in them. I mean, you covered the results. These are just, you all are missing out on fantastic tennis if you think the only tennis worth watching are these masters tournaments and grand slams because these lower level tournaments and I hate even calling them lower level but you know the the challenger circuit is unbelievable quality and uh, it's just it's super fun to, to get to watch
0: yeah completely agree with you uh, real quick, and to jump over to college because that's another realm of tennis we both love so much. Uh, the upsets on the weekend on Friday, you had Georgia Tech taking out number seven North Carolina on the men's side. You had the Texas A&M wi- uh, women taking out number four Vanderbilt. Arizona State took out our Wolverines. Although yeah. I have some juicy information for you on some of the lineup choices that happened, that we will take off pod because I don't want to compromise sources. Uh, you look on Saturday, some more great results. We had Pepperdine, the number twenty team, taking out number. Texas on the women's side. Baylor taking out Cal. USC taking out Arizona State. Ole Miss taking out Alabama. Texas A&M rallying around their win over Ohio State, knocking off LSU. Then on Sunday, more great results, and I'm sorry for going through these so quickly. Georgia over South Carolina. Uh, Georgia Tech over Duke. Florida State over Notre Dame. Uh, Florida over Tennessee 5-2. Our Michigan Wolverines rebound, take out Cornell and Purdue over the weekend. Georgia over South Carolina. Nice to see Georgia coming back. Vanderbilt rebounds against LSU on the women's side. Florida knocks off Tennessee. Kansas knocks off Oklahoma. And then... A crushing match for me, but I have to end uh, with it. Well, actually, I'll I'll do one more. Uh, Wake Forest (laughs) knocks off my Virginia Cavaliers 5-2 as well. That one obviously hurts. Oh, sorry, 6-1. I was giving my boys more credit uh, uh, with the 5-2. And then Baylor wins the BNP Paribas Collegiate Challenge, knocking off number 16, USC 4-2. Rothman, we've seen college events now at the U.S. Open, at the
1: Australian Open, at Indian Wells – I'm just curious. What do you think of this growing trend? I love it. it it's funny. I actually had it in you know my uh, one of my winners for the week. I, I just think it's so cool to give these guys an opportunity to play where they potentially could be playing in the future if they decide to take you know their chances at the uh, the pro circuit. And so, you know, it, it's really cool. Obviously, you know these uh, teams are, don't always get the chance to play each other as well. Uh, And so I I love this opportunity. I think they should keep doing it. Um,
0: Yeah. Also, getting back to your point about Nadal withdrawing, you know what you could have done if you wanted to watch more tennis? Go watch the college kids because they're really good. And so this is a great alternative. You had Sampras and Djokovic filling in as well. Hey, great shot to that tournament. But yeah, it is so cool to see college tennis on the grounds of these major events. It's
1: a great way to promote the sport. You know, and one thing I forgot to mention, uh, when we got the withdrawal from Nadal, uh, great job by Tommy Haas, uh, who decided to put together a little expedition match with him, McEnroe, Sampras, and Djokovic. So at least the fans who spent, you know, probably thousands of dollars to go see that match got to see a little something. Not, not that it's, you know, much of a, you know, consolation, but it's, you know, better than nothing.
0: Yeah, completely agree with you and he was going to be one of my winners of the week so I'm glad we knocked that one off now. Last result for you and then we'll get to our winners or then we'll get to our Miami preview and winners and losers. Uh, Jensen Brooksby, recruit for Baylor, wins a futures event uh in Bakersfield, California, knocks out Sekou bangura former Florida player, then Alex Vukic, former Illinois All-American in the final. Also beat Alex Richard along the way, Strong Kirchheimer, ton of great college talents. But for Jensen, a kid this young, getting a futures win, I'm just spitball real quick, but I'm sure these type of things will be going. How much success do you need to have at the futures level before you start considering skipping college, especially given the transition tour turmoil? I know that's a big question. I just feel like when you see a result like this, you start thinking
1: about it, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a GSP uh, type question. (laughs) But uh, it's tough because, uh, you know, you could – have a couple of these big wins and then take the next step and, you know, have no success. Um, I don't know. I I think if, if you can spend a little time and get some wins like that, I think it gives you that confidence boost and at least the, you know, it gives you some sort of uh, credibility to take the next step. So sure. I, I think it's, you know, worth for someone like that to try and take it to the next level. But, you know, it's tough. I think you need a lot more than just a good win. Yeah, well, we keep
0: plugging it. We'll talk about it more on our more recent GSP, where we'll be talking about our biggest takeaways from Indian Wells and setting the scene for Miami. Speaking of which, I want to talk a little Miami. Uh, you, You look at the entry list. It has changed a little bit. A lot of guys either got injured, got sick at Indian Wells, had to pull out, had you know, some something happened. So some updates. We mentioned earlier in the week Ivashka out, or gasquet out, Ivashka in, Dibinower Seppi out, Munar and Duhar in, Karino Busta, Niki, Nishioka out, Golbis Fabiano in, kloschreiber out, Tomic in, Nadal out, Umbert in, Verdasco out, Klon in, Del Potro out, that one hurts a lot. Tibsarovic in. On Monday, we've got a, a bunch of qualifying rounds. Who are you gonna be watching, Max?
1: I mean there's there's a lot of really good matches in this qualifying draw I mean just kind of crazy at the, yeah I mean just looking at the seeds you have Albot at one FAA at two Opelka at three Mackie at four so I mean it's it's a pretty ridiculous uh you know qualifying draw again the, the, this qualifying could be you know an ATV 500 um it, it, I don't think I don't think that's a stretch yeah I mean and, and then we have to just bring up real quick the fact that Songa is a wild card into this draw just some absolute bullshit. <laughs> um yeah yes he's ranked 118 and is the 22 seed in the qualifying draw but it's just ridiculous but sorry for that rant the matches that I am looking forward to most okay I think there's a few I, the first one I think I'm looking at is Christian Garin versus Bjorn Fritangelo these two guys have been playing spectacular tennis over the last few weeks and I, I think if if there's any match that could just be a, a, a really fun one to watch in the first round that's one of them the other match, I mean and again, like I said, I could have chosen a couple different ones. But I think I'm gonna go oh You're buying time because 'cause you're reading the list, so I'm gonna I, swoop
0: it before no, you can take no, it. Donaldson I just, Rublev is must see TV tomorrow. That one yeah. I'm I'm no, very, I, oh, very okay. excited for.
1: So I was gonna choose between him and and the Mackie Polanski, but it doesn't it doesn't match up. What about um,
0: Delian versus Ruben? That's gonna be great. Obviously, we're young American suckers, so we're all in on that. Kruger versus honestly, Elias Joe Willie
1: versus Rasol. That could be a good match. Russell kicks the vers- shit out of the ball.
0: No, it's gonna be fun. Allie Kick versus Jessica Pagula. That's a great one on the women's side. Jeannie Bouchard against I believe she's playing Cabino. That's gonna be a fun one as well. Sasha Vickery, Jennifer Brady, another all American matchup. So much good tennis tomorrow. It just proves the tennis world never stops, Max Rothman
1: that's for sure that's why we started this podcast baby
0: (laughs) well then let's end uh with one last thing we like to do this every monday give our winners and losers from the week that just passed max i have quite an extensive list for you but given the time we will go through this quick
1: give me your losers to start so I am just going to keep it short. Uh injuries. Injuries are my losers for this week. It just it, it as I've expressed it, pure frustration for me with all the injuries. You everyone wants to see the tennis and yes, I understand there's a long season ahead, but it just it sucks to see. So that's one of them. Uh and then this is, you're going to laugh at this one. Uh the ball boys. The ball boys were <laughs> and girls. We, we need to change that language. Uh they they were struggling a bit. Federer actually complained to Muhammad in a in this, finally, it was like they're moving too much. Uh, and, and whenever a player like Federer is complaining, you're doing something wrong. So, uh, sorry, you, they, they need to step it up.
0: All right, then I, I agree with – I mean, I'm never going to criticize boys and girls. And until you've ball-boyed Max Rothman, as we did I- in – in Cleveland, no, no, no. You, you, you got the rich. I ballboyed. We I ballboyed. We were ballboyed on the, the countrywide
1: classic, which then Transition turned into the team. Farmers Classic, which then turned into the LA Open. Had three name changes in five years because the tournament sucked. I ballboyed that for five years. You aside. don't
0: know about the Challenger life. You don't know about the grind. What it's like to travel from place to place ballboying, hoping for a career, hoping for
1: an ATP ballboy breakthrough or ball girl. Now says the guy kidding. whose dad pays for his plane ticket to fly to the Challenger and, and just records podcasts while he's well, there. Well, first. First, first of all, for you to say that, knowing A, I drove to Cleveland, so good, good Man, great shot
0: by good you, trip. I guess. B, no. C, I, I don't know what you're trying to prove. I guess you're feeling a little self-conscious about some of your poor takes earlier. But B, I guess. What? D, I'm throwing you onto my losers category because you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one twelve. I'm just kidding. Yeah, you know no, no I was deserved. <laughs> but let I me came get at just, you, hot. Yeah, that was good. No, I I appreciated that. I needed a little boost to end. Um my losers, the ATP, because they banned more Twitter on pay, uh more people who use GIFs on Twitter for using them. That's ridiculous. stupid always. I know we've passed this, but I if the winners and losers segment from last week, if you're not gonna include the coaches caught in the pay for not play scandal, like that would be a terrible oversight on our part because huge losers by them. Two other quick ones real quick for you. Chris Fowler, who reported on Saturday that Rafa was looking good in practice and seemed ready to play. Chris, uh, yeah. I love you. You've been a voice of my upbringing. I listen to you college football, all of these things. But that was poor tweet. They, not your best look there. Everyone was hopping on that moment to criticize mainstream commentators, calling them out of touch. So I'm sorry that you had to go through, Chris, but you are definitely one of my losers this week. Also going to throw in Michigan basketball because how can you lose the state three oh, times God. in one season? I didn't brutal. realize we were
1: going to go there. Yeah,
0: but my last lo- – oh, you went there. You've opened all the personal flesh wounds. I guess my <laughs> lose my hairline. It receded another half an inch this week. Your, your beard uh, patches.
1: Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> that- <laughs> He, no. That was a that was a home run right there. He, yeah, he, that was he threw me a little softball there. <laughs> and my last loser, Milos Raonic, who it's
0: not his fault. Wow! But because he had success at Indian Wells, people started looking up some of the past things he did, and I sent them oh, in God. our Slack, and you got to go look them up online. One, the Milos do the Harlem Shake video at the ATP Tour thing where he's like kind of dancing up on people. I'm doing it right now for you, Ruff. And one yeah, of the more awkward things, hilarious but cringeworthy. And then the other one, if you haven't, go look up the Milos Raonic song. It's definitely not copyrighted, but it's on YouTube. It's these two young kids who wrote it about him. First of all, they call him the Messiah when clearly FAA is the Canadian Messiah. Uh, <laughs> but just ugh. Rough week for Milos Raonic social media because I found there's also one of him explaining I think it's interest rates or something or some sort of fiscal something and it's so again Milos has done some funny <laughs> shit, so definitely go check that out if you haven't already but all right let's transition to the winners who you got
1: uh, I'm gonna keep this short uh, <laughs> winner I'm just gonna give you one winner and that's the young the young generation of players just a, a great performance from all of the young players both the men and the women uh, in Indian Wells and on the Challenger tour. We've got a, a very bright future for the next 10 years, so that's that's my winner for this week because you need to go to sleep.
0: All right, well, my winner off of what I just said, despite Milos Raonic losing, Canadian tennis fans were winners. FAA, yes. Shapo, Raonic, Andrescu, the future is bright. At, at the very least, hopefully they start playing a mixed sort of Davis-Fed Cup cross and we get to see just Team Canada oh. out there. That'd be really cool. Also, yeah, you know, Justin Trudeau's tweeting, congratulations to Andreescu. That's the Canadian prime minister. Canadian tennis looks great. My other winner, Maria Sakari, the player from Greece. There's a photo of her and Giannis. They met this week. I mean, she's like 5'4". He's... Freaking seven, seven. I mean, his what? arms are literally the—they're tennis, two tennis rackets in length. Um, and the photo is just amazing. Great photo. Again, sometimes tennis Twitter can be amazing, so it's really fun to see that sort of stuff. But all right, we are way over on time. This seems to happen every weekend episode. Rothman, any final thoughts, or should I just wrap this bad boy up? You need to go to sleep. <laughs>
1: Why? Because you? Because I handled your criticism with class and grace. No, because you look tired. I'm kidding. No, just because I I want to be respectful to you and you were nice enough to stay up for me, so that's very kind well then we will leave things there huge shout out to our super producers
0: Max Ligner and Daniel Westhoff who have a f*** of an editing job to do as always but one last time from our super producers Max Ligner and Daniel Westhoff from our entire team at Cracked Rackets and from my doubles partner partner in crime and guy who keeps me up way too late Maxwell LaBauer Rothman I am your host Alex Gruskin Maxie what do we say to our fans that's a break <laughs> and we will see you all throughout the week take care everyone enjoy Miami